Fair taxes for everyone, except my son. Hmm. <laughs> the hard truth about net zero and the largest car theft in history ever. You won't believe who's responsible. We'll talk about that coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. It is a Friday. We made it. We're just starting off our Friday here across the U.S. of A. And uh, wow. Oh, my goodness. It's just been one of those weeks. It's, yeah, just after piled up, after up, after up. Life is random, says it on the shirt tonight. <laughs> true, true that. All right, what do we got going on? We have one of our great sponsors we're going to tell you about right off the bat, and we don't mind doing that because we're so proud to have them part of this show, and we are proud that a lot of folks have gone over there and made a purchase, just grabbed a bag of beans to find out exactly how good this coffee really is, and it is. Folks, you tired of that same old brown water, liberal-flavored coffee? Dump it. Go with blackout coffee. We love blackout coffee around here. I am a huge fan, personally recommend it. I drink four, five, six cups a day. It's blackout coffee every time. Got it here in the show mug, and it is mm-mm-mm. Wow. Coffee Company, Blackout Coffee, coffee is 100% committed to two things, conservative American values and making a damn good cup of coffee. Sourcing the beans, working with local co-ops and American farmers to grow the beans, and they have their small batch roasting process, customer support, shipping. Blackout Coffee has an amazing work ethic. They're dedicated to you, and they are dedicated to our country. Zero compromise on taste and quality. Do me a favor. Just check out a single bag. Go to the link down there in our show notes. You'll find it at the top, and check out Blackout Coffee. I'm telling you, use coupon code J20 at checkout for 20% off your first order, which is a fantastic deal. Ditch the other guys. You don't know how long that crap's been sitting on the shelf. You don't know when it was rusted. With blackout coffee from the time you order, usually 24 to 48 hours after your order is placed, they roast your beans. Ship them out another few days to get there. And you've got the freshest roasted coffee you can get other than roasting it yourself. And trust me, you don't want to do that. Blackout Coffee, they believe in the importance of hard work, personal responsibility, and our American values. Please do support this company. They support the show, and uh, they support our troops. They support our way of life. Blackout Coffee, code J20, J-A-Y-20 at checkout. And that will get you 20% off your first order. Great deal. Thank you, Blackout Coffee. All right, today is the birthday of the United States Marine Corps. I have one friend who was my best friend growing up. He was an amazing man. His name was John Mulligan. And uh, we grew up together in Cornwall, Connecticut. He was a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. And every bit of Marine 
He still is, of course. You're never an ex-Marine. And today is the birthday of the Marine Corps. John went on to become a uh, very respectable FBI agent back in the day when the FBI still had some of the I part, as in integrity. <clears throat> they don't need more, of course, but that was back in the day, good 30, 40 years ago. Anyway, tomorrow, of course, is Veterans Day. Tomorrow, Veterans Day, and I saw this article and wanted to share this picture with you. <laughs> Why do I have no sound? That's the strangest thing. Hang on a quick... This is really weird. There. Now my sound is back. <laughs> All right. We'll try this again. This is an amazing monument dedicated to our veterans. Every November 11th, Veterans Day, tomorrow. Now get this. This monument is aligned so that 11 minutes after 11 o'clock a.m., of course, on every November 11th, the sun shines perfectly through the ellipses of the five armed forces pillars that make up the Anthem Veterans Memorial. Unbelievable, beautiful sight to behold, shining on the mosaic of the great seal of the United States. You see that down there on the bottom? That is, that is a, uh, a projection that comes through here. At exactly 11 minutes after 11 on November 11th. It's located in Anthem, Arizona. I would love to see this live on the 11th at 11:11. It honors the service of the armed forces, serves as a palace of reflection for veterans, their family and friends, and others who just simply want to pay respect to the brave men and women who defend and have defended the freedoms of the United States. It's a monument in Anthem, uh, Arizona, which was dedicated in 2011 to honor the sacrifice and service made by members of the U.S. Armed Forces. There are five white pillars that represent the nation's military branches and were arranged in the Department of Defense's order of precedence, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. Each pillar has an elliptical opening that slants downward toward the great seal of the U.S. And on Veterans Day, by the design, the sun's rays spotlight the great seal, as I said, at 11, 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Wow. Renee Palmer-Jones, who is a resident of Anthem, designed the memorial. She used the five marble pillars to represent, as we said, each of the branches. Uh, they range in size from 17 feet to 6 feet tall. Wow. The brick pavers inside the Circle of Honor inscribed with the names of more than 750 servicemen and women. And Jim Martin, the engineer who also lives in Anthem, is the one who aligned the pillars with the sun to create this awesome solar element. A breathtaking tribute to the service and the sacrifices of the men and women of the United States Armed Services. Wow. So, it seems a bit odd to say Happy Veterans Day, but Happy Veterans Day. Please do honor those men and women who uh, who serve. Wow. All right. 
Today, we got stuff going on in the news that will not make you happy. Well, okay, one of them might make you happy, but in general, <laughs> John Solomon, who runs Just the News and does an incredible job over there, he put out an article today, as Joe Biden promised fair taxes, his son was rushing to erase his delinquent taxes. <laughs> Is there ever any good news with this criminal crime family? Internal IRS memos chronicle efforts during Joe Biden's 2020 campaign to clean up Hunter Biden's delinquent taxes and the suspicions his account had, his accountant had, I should say, about Hunter Biden's truthfulness. As Biden, Joe that is, you know, the rotting bag of flesh in the White House, as he marched towards the presidency back in 2020, you know, the stolen election, he promised to force the wealthy to pay their fair share. His son, Hunter, was scrambling behind closed doors to clean up a trail of his own delinquent taxes before they became an election scandal. That is according to a once secret IRS memo, which has been made public by Congress. Ouch. They discovered the future first son was continuing to allegedly misrepresent his income and deductions to the very accountant he'd hired to help. <laughs> These documents that Just the News has taken a look at show Jeffrey Gelfand, an Edward White and Company tax accountant hired by Hunter, was cooperating as a witness in the IRS criminal probe of the first son and is likely down the road to become a key witness if the younger Biden is charged with tax crimes by special counsel David Weiss. Will that ever happen? Yeah, I think you know the answer to that question. There are more details. The link is in our show notes tonight. You can, of course, always read the whole article. It is fantastic, covers everything, tells you all the inside information. They have leaked a ton of stuff in those memos and you need to know about it because mainstream media isn't going to cover it that's for damn sure they never do gotta protect their assets you know what i mean <laughs> yeah hey this story popped today it happened yesterday and something is not right something is uh, there is just no way the odds of this happening are astronomical. This is from People Magazine, of all places. There were tons of articles. I chose some leftist rag to, uh, to bring you, so you know, we cover it from the right to the left. Okay, what am I talking about? I'm talking about this headline. Four current or former members of the LA County Sheriff's Office have died by suicide within the span of two days. Four of them, within two days. 
They're being investigated by homicide officials, the LA Sheriff's Department said in a statement. But this is, I'm sorry folks, there is just no way this just happened. Four officers suicide in two days. According to the LA Times, CBS, KTLA, four former and current officers killed themselves. Three who died were active in the department. One was a retired employee, the LASD said in a statement to People on Wednesday. First death reported Monday at 10.30 a.m. Second, a little after noon, the same day. Third one, that evening. And the fourth one, the next day at 7.30 a.m. That just doesn't happen. The department didn't disclose any other information uh, out of respect for the officers grieving families, of course, and that makes sense. But um, identified two of the members as Commander Darren Harris, found in his home in Santa Clara, uh, Santa Clarita, and Sergeant Greg Havland in his home in Quartz Hill, California. The deputy who died Tuesday found unresponsive in his home and was pronounced dead after being taken to a hospital. Now, they have established so far no connections between these four deaths. All the death scenes were investigated initially by homicide detectives. On condition of anonymity, they said employees learned about the third and fourth deaths as news spread about the first two deaths around the agency. Sheriff Rob Luna says in a statement, quote, we are stunned to learn of these deaths and it sent shockwaves of emotion throughout the department as we try and cope with the loss of not just one, but four beloved active and retired members of our department family, acknowledging the deaths as a significant amount of loss. Again, no word, still under investigation, but four inside, it wasn't even two, basically two days, it was a day and a half or less. Something smells about this. Keep an eye on this story. The link to the story is, of course, in our show notes. You can check it out there. It's just weird. They're coming after the Sunday people. That would be people like you and me. You know the saying. Carrie Lake posted this over on X, and I'm really glad she did. I follow Carrie Lake. She is an incredible, incredible lady. She is now running for senator from Arizona. Please support Carrie Lake. Follow her on X. Get behind her campaign. Joe Biden's administration has just imposed a record-setting fine on GCU, a Christian school, in the latest of a series of attacks from the Biden regime on the private Christian school. GCU is in Ruben Galejo's district, and he couldn't even sign a letter in defense of the school. This is frightening. Of all the things going on in the world, with all that's wrong with the 
higher education system, Representative Eli Crane writes, the Biden admin choosing to target a private Christian school says it all. Thanks to Rep. Lesko, Gosar, and Andy Biggs joining uh, Eli Crane and calling it out. Here is the letter expressing their concern about this ridiculous $37.7 billion fine. The whole letter, the tweet, the post on X, it's there. It's in our show notes. I encourage you to read it. And you know, whether you're in Arizona or not, doesn't matter. This is the kind of crap going on with this regime. <clears throat> Sticking our uh, fellow patriots in the gulag as political prisoners. It's it's a police state, my friends. I hate to say it, but there's just no doubt about it. We absolutely are living in a police state. By the way, have you seen Dinesh D'Souza's new film, co-produced with uh, Dan Bongino? It's brilliant. If you haven't seen it, you must. It will open your eyes. Police state. You can go to policestatefilm.net, I believe. It's also available on Rumble. So if while you're here on Rumble watching this show, after the show, you check it out. Check out police state. All right. Here's one for you. When you have you stayed at a hotel room lately? I, I know I have. I'm, Miko. That's our little Shiba Inu baby Miko, who apparently has seen a shadow. <laughs> She's in a mood tonight. All right. This is weird. This is beyond weird. Like I said, have you stayed in a hotel room lately? You might want to check the closet. Exclusive investigation. Secret underground tunnel was found behind a painting and the downtown St. Louis Hotel, which is owned by Hyatt. May 23rd of this year, Bloomberg announced that Marriott, Hilton, and a lot of other national hotel chains were being sued for engaging, dismissing, and profiting from the trafficking of children. They were also accused of having underground tunnels in their suites. There are tons. I checked this out. Search it out. You'll find the same thing. There are tons of these videos. This one is the third video they've posted in the past two days verifying the tunnels at the Hyatt hotels. They're continuing to investigate. And like I said, this is just one of many videos people have taken. Some have list lifted up the floorboards in the closets. Some have found panels in the closet walls inside the back wall of the uh, closet. Check this out. Take a look at this. Look at that. We don't need the sound. It's just monster music. Look at that. Keeps going, keeps going down. Now, this guy didn't travel the whole way down, but these tunnels exist, and there are secret entrances going into hotel rooms. So don't tell me it's a way for staff to get around. First of all, this is not what a staff alleyway would look like. These are evil. 
And why would you need access to only certain of the hotel rooms? This is some scary crap. And my friends, I promise you, this has something to do with exactly what they've been accused of, either human trafficking, child trafficking. This is frightening, absolutely frightening. The post is on X. There's some great replies to this post and uh, people who have discovered exactly the same thing. Uh, here's another one. Andrea Diaz, I found a secret Narnia passage in my hotel room. Jeez. Wow. Check that out. Let me show you this one quickly. There you go. It's not a video. It is a video, but not in this link. Wow. Another hidden passageway with a secret entrance inside a hotel room. Something is very not right. Okay, the largest, I promised you this, this is a weird one, the largest car theft in history, in the history of the world, anywhere. Who do you think would be responsible? If you haven't read the story, it's been around for a while, but it's for some reason just popped in the last couple days. Who would you guess is responsible for the largest car theft in history? The answer is, drum roll, I don't have a drum roll, North Korea, yeah. This is from GreekReporter.com, and there is a link in our show notes. North Korea, largest car theft in history, stealing Volvos. <laughs> Apparently, Volvos are a very common sight in Pyongyang. The culprit in this, uh, they ordered a thousand Volvo vehicles from Sweden in the 70s, and they never paid. At the, now, why did Volvo ship the cars if they hadn't been paid? At the time, in response to an emerging economy, the hermit nation ordered these Volvo 114s, regarded at the time as one of the safest and strongest cars in the world. In fact, their reputation had them dubbed as tanks. And I'll tell you, my mom used to own an old Volvo. It was every bit a tank. <laughs> the cars were shipped and delivered, but North Korea just never bothered to pay, ignored the invoice. To this day, that bill remains unpaid. Soviet diplomats are calling it the largest car theft in human history. With interest, Oh, man, I can't believe they kept track of this since the 70s. North Korea's debt to Sweden with interest accumulated is now $322 million. I'm pretty sure they're not going to be paying that anytime soon. Twice a year for since the 70s, Volvo sends reminders to Pyongyang, and North Korea has never upheld its end of the bargain. Uh, just a reminder, 
You owe $322 million. Would you mind making a payment? By the way, to this day, no other manufacturer of cars has ever provided any new cars to North Korea because of this incident. Three, $322 million. Oh, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> of course, nowadays, uh, they wouldn't be importing cars because, you know, net zero and all that scam. Well, the unethical truth about net zero can be seen very clearly in this video coming up. 40,000 child slaves in the Congo. Hazardous conditions in cobalt mines. Not the right safety equipment. And all working for pennies a day. The cobalt used in a lot of different products, including electric car batteries. This is frightening, but you got to see it because when you just hear about that, you think, okay, yeah, well, it's not, yeah, okay, oh, well, take a look. This looks like a scene out of an Indiana Jones movie. It isn't. This isn't Hollywood. This is real life in the Congo. Child slaves for pennies a day in hazardous conditions with virtually no safety equipment. Mining the cobalt you need for your electric car. Proud of yourself now? Net zero. Climate bullcrap. Okay. I gotta do one more. And this is a funny one. <laughs> Some fishermen, I don't know where, from the language, it sounds like it might be Russia, but it doesn't say. But some fishermen hauled in a net full of fish and found something they weren't quite expecting. Take a look. Watch this. Here comes the net. Get that dog out of there. Now watch when they undo the net. This is amazing. Here we go, take a look. Here comes a fish. And that's not all. <laughs> it's a... Is that a walrus or a seal? I think it's a seal. It's a damn big seal. 
Look at this, just hitting it with the water to try and get it off the boat. And it's in pig heaven here with all the fish. <laughs> it doesn't want to leave. It's got lunch all, it's sitting in its lunch. I can't say as I'd blame it. This is a, it hauled up in the fishing net. <laughs> anyway, eventually he'd had enough of this and decided, okay, back to work. I'll catch my own fish. Here he goes. Watch him jump too, by the way. Hell of a splash. Here he goes. This is insane. Okay, bye. Wow. <laughs> really did not expect that in their fishing net, did they? Like I said, you can hear the language there. It sounds like it might be Russian, I think. I can't tell. Okay. <laughs> Incredible. All right. We're... Uh, we're getting on to our book now. We read books on the show, of course. We encourage you to get your kids to read, for you to read, read to your kids. If you want, all of our shows for the past and all the past books we've done are all right here on Rumble on our channel. You can go there and queue it up to this part of the show. It's usually about halfway through, about 10.30 or so. And uh, we have read all kinds of great classic children's book, The Wizard of Oz, The Jungle Book, The Little Prince, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And we're now right, do, right now doing uh, Lord of the Flies. Coming up next, so far, it looks like Treasure Island is going to be our next book, which can't wait for that. We're almost at the end, just a couple chapters to go here, and uh, then we'll finish up Lord of the Flies. So we're getting to it. All right. You ready? Let's pop up the book covers. There we go. And move on over to William Golding's 1954 Lord of the Flies. It was getting very intense yesterday when we left off. His temper broke. He screamed at Jack. You're a beast and a swine and a bloody, bloody thief. He charged. Jack, knowing this was the crisis, charged too. They met with a jolt, bounced apart. Jack swung with his fist at Ralph and caught him on the ear. Ralph hit Jack in the stomach and made him grunt. Then they were facing each other again, panting and furious, but unnerved by each other's ferocity. They became aware of the noise that was in the background of the fight, the steady, shrill cheering of the tribe behind them. Piggy's voice penetrated to Ralph. Let me speak! He was standing in the dust of the fight, and as the tribe saw his intention, the shrill cheer changed to a steady booing. Piggy held up the conch, and the booing sagged a little, and then came up to strength again. I got the conch! he shouted. I tell you, I got the conch. Surprisingly, there was silence now. The tribe was curious to hear what amusing thing he might have to say. Silence and pause, but in the silence, a curious air noise close by Ralph's head. 
He gave, gave it half his attention, and there it was again, a faint zip. Someone was throwing stones. Roger was dropping them, his one hand still on the lever. Below him, Ralph was a shock of hair and Piggy a bag of fat. I gotta say this. You're acting like a crowd of kids. The booing rose and died again as Piggy lifted the white magic shell. Which is better, to be a pack of painted Indians like you are or to be sensible like Ralph is? A great clamor rose among the savages. Piggy shouted again, which is better, to have rules and agree or to hunt and kill? Again, the clamor, and again, zip. Ralph shouted against the noise. Which is better, law and rescue or hunting and breaking things up? Now Jack was yelling too, and Ralph could no longer make himself heard. Jack had barked right back against the tribe, and they were a solid mass of menace that bristled with spears. The intention of a charge was forming among them. They were working up to it, and the neck would be swept clear. Ralph stood facing them a little to one side, his spear ready. By him stood Piggy, still holding the talisman, the fragile, shining beauty of the shell. A storm of sound beat at them, the incantation of hatred. High overhead, Roger, with a sense of delirious abandonment, leaned all his weight on the lever. Ralph heard the great rock before he saw it. He was aware of a jolt in the earth that came to him through the soles of his feet and the breaking sound of stones at the top of the cliff. Then the monstrous red thing bounded across the neck and he flung himself flat while the tribe shrieked. The rock struck Piggy a glancing blow from cheek to, chin to knee. The conch exploded into a thousand white fragments and ceased to exist. Piggy, saying nothing, with no time for even a grunt, traveled through the air sideways from the rock, turning over as he went. The rock bounded twice and was lost in the forest. Piggy fell forty feet and landed on his back across the square red rock in the sea. His head opened, and stuff came out and turned red. Piggy's arms and legs twitched a bit, like a pig's after it had been killed. And then the sea breathed again in a long, slow sigh. The water boiled white and pink over the rock, and when it went, sucking back again, the body of Piggy was gone. This time of silence was complete. Ralph's lips formed a word, but no sound came out. Suddenly Jack bounded out from the tribe and began screaming wildly, see, see? That's what you'll get. I meant that. This isn't a tribe for you anymore. The conch is gone. He ran forward, stooping. I'm chief. 
viciously and with full intention, he hurled his spear at Ralph. The point tore the skin and flesh over Ralph's ribs, but sheared off and fell in the water. Ralph stumbled, feeling not pain but panic, and the tribe, screaming now like the chief, began to advance. Another spear, a bent one that wouldn't fly straight, went past his face, and one fell from on high where Roger was. The twins lay hidden beneath the tribe, and the anonymous devil's faces swarmed around the neck. Ralph turned and ran. A great noise, as of seagulls, rose behind him. He obeyed an instinct that he did not know he possessed, and swerved over the open space so the spears went wide. He saw the headless body of the sow, jumped in time, and then he was crashing through the foliage and small boughs, and was hidden by the forest. The chief stopped by the pig, turned and held up his hands. Back, back to the fort. Presently, the tribe returned noisily to the neck where Roger joined them. The chief spoke to him angrily. Why aren't you on watch? Roger looked at him gravely. I just came down. The hangman's horror clung round him. The chief said no more to him, but looked down at Sam Nerick. You gotta join the tribe. You let me go. And me. Chief snatched one of the few spears that were left and poked Sam in the ribs. What do you mean by it, eh? Said the chief fiercely. What do you mean by coming with spears? What do you mean by not joining my tribe? The prodding became rhythmic. Sam yelled. That's not the way. Roger edged past the chief, only just avoiding pushing him with his shoulder. The yelling ceased, and Sam Nerick lay looking up in a quiet terror. Roger advanced on them as one wielding a nameless authority. And that's the end of chapter 11. Wow. Chapter 12 is coming up. We're almost there, folks. Man, what a book. Chapter 12 is called The Cry of the Hunters. And we will start off Chapter 12 coming up on Monday's show. All right, just a little bit of housekeeping and begging. Please don't forget to sign up for a free Rumble account. It's easy. We don't spam your inbox. And then when you do, you can get into the chat, the live chat, make comments. By the way, thank you very much for your comment on last night's show. I appreciate that very much. And... Uh, Wow, yeah, you can also follow the show. That's that green button. I think now they moved it. It's right about there. Anyway, it's a green button says follow. Push that. <laughs> we also don't spam your inbox. If you want to join us over on Locals, we just added another video uh, yesterday, I think. It's all subscriber only. Hey, it costs basically the cost is like the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee once a month. So help me out if you would uh, sign up for a subscription over on our Locals account to get access to all our behind the scenes weirdo videos that I post over there. All right. Enjoy your weekend. Spend it with some people you care about. If you can, I will see y'all back here on Monday. Yeah.